0: Today and welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast series. Today is the fourth panel discussion, and I'd like to thank Deb Gray for helping me organize today's panel session. If you haven't already, please listen to Deb's podcast, which was released last week. Great discussion, and Deb helped me to build the panel for today's discussion, which included Kate McBride, Elle Moyle, and Holly Ludman was a great discussion fantastic set of issues to discuss from a Australian agriculture perspective and as far as that goes we looked at four key topic areas which included my guests leadership pathways their definitions of leadership leadership challenges and opportunities from their industry context that being the agriculture sector and leadership and gender hope you enjoy today's discussion by way of introduction I'd like to start with Deb Gray Deb, how are you?
1: I'm good, Eric. How are you? Thanks
0: Um, for having us. I'm good. Thank you for joining me and thank you for helping me to organise this. So I'll introduce you first, Deb. Deb Gray is a beef producer in the Araloon Valley, located in the southern tablelands of New South Wales. She's completed a diploma in agriculture through Tocal College since the Black Summer Bushfires of 2020. She's focused on regenerative agriculture, and she's recently enrolled in a university degree to study a Bachelor of Science majoring in regenerative agriculture. So thank you again for joining us, Deb. I'd like to welcome Holly Ludman to the podcast. How are you, mate? Good, thanks,
2: Eric. Great to be here.
0: And thank you for joining me. So Holly has completed a Bachelor of Agricultural Science at La Trobe University and a Bachelor of Veterinary Medicine and surgery at Murdoch University in WA. She's worked in a mix and equine practice before moving to various roles across the livestock export industry. She's the founder and managing director of the Livestock Collective. The not-f- not-for-profit company was developed in 2019 out of a crisis and critical need to improve the Australian community's connection and understanding of the livestock export industry. My third guest today is Kate McBride. How are you, Kate?
1: Good, thanks.
0: Thank you for joining me. So Kate is a fifth-generation farmer from Western New South Wales. She was born and brought up on a 500,000-acre sheep property located in the Lower Darling Barker River. She became a Healthy River Ambassador working towards a better water management outcome in the Murray Darling. As a result, Kate's become a voice for regional Australia and has become an advocate for other issues facing country Australians such as mental health, lack of services and climate change. She has completed a Bachelor of Commerce at Adelaide University and has begun a Masters in Global Food and Agricultural Business. And Kate has joined the independent think tank, the Australia Institute, researching border and rural issues, and has recently become the parliamentary liaison for that institute. So our final panel member for today is Elle Moyle. She is a farmer, vet, and company director. She graduated from Charles Sturt University in 2014, has worked overseas in the Middle East and the US, and in Australia in private practice throughout South australia and northern queensland she's involved in the family business pathfinder Angus stud which sells over 600 bulls annually across australia she's been named australian cattle council Victorian Rising Champion and the finalist for the Xander McDonald Award, alumni of the National Rural Women's Coalition, member of the Australian New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists and graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. I'd like to welcome my panel to the podcast today. Thank you for being here with me. And I think to start things off, I'd like to start by asking you each about your leadership pathway. So I might start with Holly. Holly, over to you.
2: Oh, thanks. Well, what a powerhouse we have on the panel and it's great to be here with such amazing women. I think I remember doing some leadership workshops and it's a bit, you know, difficult to describe what you think leadership is when you didn't see yourself as a leader. So I think my leadership pathways have been in the last few years, like taking time to step back and look at what's been achieved and and how I've done that. And I think it's really been for me around the power Mm -hmm. of collaboration. I'm a collaborator by nature. I love bringing people and organisations together. So being able to do that and I really live by lifting others up will help, you know, my own journey. I think that linked around the ability to create trust and, and networks of people as well. So I suppose that's my definition of leadership in a a nutshell. Um, And a lot of these guys have been part of that journey or this group here around us creating the Livestock Leaders Program. And that was really about my, my passion to empower the supply chain within the livestock industry.
0: Thank you, Holly. Uh, before we go on in terms of defining uh, the panel's pathways around leadership, let me ask you when you say potentially you, were, you considered yourself, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, a reluctant leader?
2: Maybe it was reluctant to stand up and say... That I was being a leader, but I think out of the crisis situation that I was in or that, you know, led to the Livestock Collective forming, for example, I was definitely showing leadership in the ability to step forward where so no one else wanted to step forward, um, take the, you know, brave move to you know, be in the media, talk openly about what the industry I was working in, which was livestock export, which was very controversial at the time so you know at the time I didn't think of it as leadership but you look back and you know it definitely was stepping forward to a challenge and helping others um, come with me
0: thank you for that so was it um, more a light bulb moment for you or did somebody sort of make it known to yeah you did a really good job leading us through a difficult time or was it a mix of those things
2: I think it was a mix, and then having to do things like this, like podcasts or news articles, or um, yeah, getting feedback, <laughs> and yeah, it, it kind of you're having to talk about how you did things and why you did things, and, and that self reflection as well has definitely come into it.
0: Before we move on, and I, I don't want to not ask this because it's become more apparent to me that, in from my estimation, this is only my view of this that the more effective leaders that we'll run into in our careers are self-reflective practitioners. So did you you seek that feedback to try and understand what you did and why you did it?
2: Uh, I think this leadership journey I've been on the last few years has been very much in the public domain. So there was a lot of uh, feedback coming to me through multiple mechanisms, whether it was, you know, social media, text messages from farmers saying, thank you for stepping forward, even media outlets saying thank you for giving us access to information. So I've had a lot of feedback from various mechanisms that uh, I suppose assisted that self-reflection.
0: Yeah, there's a story there. I reckon there was a lot of wanted and unwanted feedback coming your way. (laughs) So Thank you for sharing, Holly. So Kate, can I ask you your leadership pathway? What did that look like for you?
1: Yeah, I feel like I was quite similar to Holly, really. I never saw myself as a leader. But then you sort of look back at, you know, through school and things like that, there was the odd thing that came up and you're like, oh, I suppose it was sort of showing a little bit of leadership potential there. And when you actually, when I say that to people that know me and have known me for a really long time, they're like, Kate, we always knew that you could be a leader. But then we had some really catastrophic issues happen um, with our darling Barker. So the river that runs through Tilano out in Western New South Wales. And so when that happened, it was really a time where it was sort of thrust on me um, and all of a sudden we had to do like a lot of media and there was a lot of coordinating stuff going on and there was just there was a lot going on and I sort of stepped up as did a lot of people in our community we were really lucky but it's interesting how these like catastrophic events often create leaders and I think after that it's like a realization of okay I can do this and I can actually be effective in that and so what can we do to actually help more people in that space and so I suppose that's sort of been like what I've been doing over the last few years is trying to broaden that out and Holly's work with the Livestock Collective bit has been amazing because I'm constantly going and trying to learn and and meet people and sort of broaden my understanding of you know what leadership is and what the type of leader that I am um, so doing all these like programs to try and keep developing those skills um, and the Livestock Collective were amazing. I'm a livestock leader as well um, as a result of Holly's incredible work and I think it's really incredible in the ag industry where people really do try and sort of, I don't know, create opportunities for people to network and meet with each other but then develop their skills as well and like Holly giving back in a way of creating the Livestock Collective is really
0: special and I
1: think the ag industry is lucky to have people like her around.
0: Thank you for that, Kate. And did, did you find that you were looking or had mentors available to you as part of your process? Because I get the impression, not just from this conversation, but from others I've had, it often takes a crisis to get people to step up and do things and become the leaders that they probably were, but didn't have an opportunity to demonstrate those leadership skill sets. So did you find you could reach out to a network of people? And is that typical for the, the farming community in Australia to look for colleagues to help out? Is that typical practice
1: no doubt and I think it's not just in farming but in general you know often when you're going through a leadership sort of journey people say find a mentor and find someone you can chat to What I found quite interesting for me is one mentor hasn't worked for me. Like, I surround myself with a great deal of mentors that I go to for advice and feedback. And I think that's because, like, I wear a number of different hats, Um, you know, like work for a think tank, but then also a farmer, I'm an environmentalist. Like, I think, and a lot of the women in ag seem to do that as well. We wear all these different hats. So it doesn't really fit having one mentor to go to for everything, but having mentors all over the place and being able to, you know, something might happen like politically. And so I've got mentors that I will seek advice for them for that area, but then you know something comes up in ag and I'm not going to go to that same person. So I think having quite a broad base of mentors and it's something that I feel really fortunate about as I've had a lot of people help me over the years, particularly as like a young female coming up through the ranks, there's a lot of people that are willing to take you under their wing. And I think really like leaning into that wing and using them as a mentor and like seeking feedback and, and advice as much as you can is really important. So yeah, totally mentors are so important.
0: Brilliant. Okay, L, can you? Give us a sense of your leadership pathway there, please.
3: Mine has been fairly sort of just a natural progression of things. So yeah, like back when I was younger, it was, you know, leading a sports team, being a captain or something like that. And then I was I was quite lucky in a couple of the jobs I've had, they've been really promoted professional and personal development. And so I did a heap of those sort of professional development courses because I was managing staff. And so they really encouraged you to do that. And I learned so much, you know, by doing a couple of those, which really like, gave me heaps of self-reflection on the things I can, you know, improve to be a good leader and thing, you know, and bad habits to drop off. I found that really good. And that probably really amplified my sort of leadership journey. And then just like Kate said, like having a massive network of mentors who I've sort of picked up along the way over the last um, you know, 10 years uh in the industry, it's yeah, they're the sort of people that i lean on. You know, it would be almost once a day I'd call one of them or they'd call me for some sort of advice and, and vice versa. So glad you didn't ask me this question even like a year ago because I just don't, like, it, the, lots has happened in the last couple of years and I wouldn't have considered myself a leader, you know, even a year or two ago because it's, it is a long journey to sort of reflect back and, and make an impact.
0: People can do a lot of the leadership <laughs> process but never consider themselves leaders and that label sometimes comes with, with things attached that do you necessarily have to be a, a CEO or a general manager or some formal title to think of yourself in that way. And yeah, it's interesting that you also bring up the element of, of time. So if you're saying 12 months ago, I would have thought some other stuff, but now I'm thinking this, isn't it funny how much experience over even a short amount of time can make you see things different? Now, when, mm. when you say that, was that prompted in some ways by what you learned from other leaders
3: No, I mean people in the in the last few years, people have been sort of like indicating that's what I'm uh, that's what I've been doing, and I I suppose a bit of self reflection that yeah I have made some impacts along the way. But I got put forward to a few new roles and that sort of made me reflect on like, maybe I am I am doing something. Yeah, I know it's kind of a hard one because you don't really want to, you know, be, you know, tall poppy syndrome or anything. Like you don't really shout about it, but it's sort of just quietly reflected on and the on you, by yourself and sort of come to that realisation.
0: This is definitely an Australian trade. Oh, you can't big note yourself too much or someone's going to chop your legs out for <clears> one <throat> year. I, I, yeah.
1: Especially being a girl in ARG.
0: Thank you, Elle. All right, Deb, your turn, mate. Uh, leadership pathways, what can you share with us?
1: I didn't even realise that I could become a leader in ag until the bushfires went through, actually, and I'd been farming for nearly 20 years by that point. And to get through one of the worst droughts that you know we'd ever seen, I wasn't around for the drought of the 80s, but You know, this one was, (laughs) I'll throw that in there. But this one was, it was horrific to go through. And as Kate would have known from her experience, you know, down where she is, it was just to get through it mentally, physically, emotionally, it was heartbreaking. And then to have the fire come through and destroy what you had left, I was ready to pull the pin. I just was ready to put the for sale sign out the front and quit. Quit ag, quit farming, quit it all. And anyway, I ended up now pulling myself together and let's try something different. And I put my hand up for every opportunity that was out there at the time. And I ended up getting involved in a program that the MLA were running at the time. And it was the Back to Business program. And they put you in touch with a farm consultant, ag advisor for three days and he would come in with fresh eyes and he actually helped me get excited about farming and sea farming in a different perspective and because we had such success together on that program there was an article that the land then wrote I did a podcast I'd never done any media work by that point and then a couple of weeks later Holly's Livestock Collective found me (laughs) and put me in on the next course that they were they were doing for the New South Wales Um, Inductions to livestock leaders and from then I realized that you know being a leader it's not it's not just forging a path it's it's like the other the other girls have said you know it's about it's about building up a team together and it's forging together and it's something I never ever would have thought I would have been involved in but now I'm I'm happy to talk to anyone about ag and oh look I'm I know not much out there compared to what you know some of these girls know I'm just a simple farmer with my cows in my valley you know but if I don't know the answer look at the powerhouse that I've got sitting here with me today you know I can I can find the answer I can point you in the right direction and that's to me how it started and now you know I go and spend a couple weeks at the Easter show every year and talk to people about ag and tell them where their meat comes from and tell them about the industry and and it is it's it's a great it's a great role to have as a leader.
0: Yeah it sounds like you have a, a, a love for your industry and that's a good thing to hear. Eerily familiar what you said oh I'm just a farmer I get that from fisher folk all the time. We're only fisher people and you're like no just just a got, farmer got some <laughs> yeah, there are some skill sets that uh, city folk have no idea about and I, I think communicating that to the community about what what farming is, what agriculture is is important. Interesting to hear in the public debate is the, there's a lot of discussion around what food security means, yet most of the population have no idea where their food comes from. I'll put this to the panel and we've set the groundwork around your leadership pathway, but Holly, I might start with you. Defining leadership, what does that mean for you?
2: I suppose you define it through your own experiences. I think for me, it is the ability to bring people together and put other people before yourself or for the greater good, you know, which is what I'm really passionate about. Uh, and, you know, that's not always easy, which I'm sure you'll get into like the challenges we have <laughs> faced in our leadership journey. But, um, yeah, I think for me, leadership is collaboration and lifting other people up to be the best version of themselves they can be. It
0: seems communication, collaboration are important. Is there anything else that you've seen from the leaders that you've dealt with that's important to you?
2: I think you have to be able to make tough decisions and have difficult conversations as well. And that's often part of my role In with one of the other hats on and showing leadership is often having to step into the areas where others don't want to step into and be confident in that, those difficult conversations and difficult situations.
0: Yeah, it's part of the leadership process that nobody likes is that you have to be potentially the final decision maker on some things and that can come with some issues. So yeah, fully understand. Kate, your definition of leadership. And again, there's no right answer here. I'm <laughs> for the, there is no perfect answer. Otherwise I wouldn't have the the podcast. So how do you define the process?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like growing up, I thought of leadership as, you know, the, the loudest, or well, not loudest person in the room, but you know, a vocal person in the room that sort of like, you know, really stands out. And I've come to really realise that often, you know, the best leaders in the room aren't the ones that are actually having their voices heard. It's really about empowering other people. and and trying to get the best out of the people that are around them, pretty much exactly like Holly said. It's also in, like, as I've been learning about leadership and, you know, the different types of leaders that we have come out, like I think the importance of recognising your own leadership style, that there's good and bad in all of them um, and sort of, you know, working on your strengths and weaknesses. But then also when different situations come up, what you've got to be acting in and, you know, like if if there's an emergency, you don't want someone that's like an over-consultative person that's going to sort of, you know, what does everyone in the room think that we should do right now? You want someone that's going to step into that role and be like, this is what we need to do right now to, you know, sort whatever problem you've got out in front of you. And so I think recognising that people can change their leadership styles depending on what's going on as well. So, yeah, I I feel like that's not like a definition of leadership, but it's how I've sort of come to learn about it um, and that we're constantly, like we're always shifting. Um, And as we develop as people, we're also changing our leadership styles as well.
0: Yeah, perfectly Perfectly good response. Uh, L, your definition
3: of leadership? Not much to build on from those guys. They really summed it up well. But um, yeah, I I don't know. But I did hear one guy say something really profound. Well, I found it quite profound. And he was a leader of a big corporation. And he said that, like, the way that that he has, you know, the way a good leader should lead is with, with zero self interest. And it is all about the people around you. So I thought, yeah, when I reflect, like, they're the leaders and managers and whoever who I've really trusted and followed like loyally followed is the ones you can see who are doing it for everyone else and doing it for like the greater cause so i suppose that's really all i can add to that
0: yeah i love that zero self-interest that uh, that's a very a very self-actualized human being that can do things without any self-interest particularly in the leadership space and i'm sure we've all met leaders that are the complete opposite of what you've just um, um given us there as a definition so thank you all right deb your definition
1: My definition of leadership, it's I I guess it's a bit similar to what Kate was saying, you know, you you think of a leader and you know, you think of your high school school captains and you think of, you know, as you move through through your life, you know, the leader is always the person that takes the charge, is the noisy one, is the one that makes the headway. But I when I when I sit back now and I look at at leadership and I see Holly doing this amazing job with a not-for-profit, and like Elle said, she's got no financial gain in this. It's all about the industry. It's about the people that she works with. And that to me is the leadership we're not, you know, really famous people out there. We're, we're people that are doing what we do for the love of our industry. And every time we post on a social media or every time we put something out there, you know, we've got, we do get a lot of backlash at times, you know, from different groups and different activist groups and things like that. But we're forging ahead and we're leading our own path, believing in our industry and doing what we do because we love it. So that, to, to me, makes us all great leaders on this panel. Maybe it's passion. Maybe we've all talked
2: about passion. Is that the definition?
1: <laughs> it's, it's passion and it you know we we do this because we love it. You look at the simple farmers that we have here. You know, we've got Elle, Kate, and myself. We all, we've all got the farming background and it ain't easy getting out there in the rain and the sleet and the snow and the forty-eight degree days to to deal with what we deal with. You know, we can have terrible growing seasons. We have seasons with too much rain. We have fires. We have droughts. We have COVID. You know, we don't do this for the massive paycheck at the end of the at the end of the year because we get paid yearly. That's that's hard work in itself. We do this because we love it and that ultimately what it is it's we have the passion and the drive and I think it's interesting with like our like leadership journeys as well is that you know that idea of leaders sort of like that have no self-interest and I think the positions that we've all been sort of put in is like well you have to stand up at this time and it's not for your own benefits for like people you know all over the place and so I think that's really important and the A lot of the time when you're putting yourself out there, you're actually risking more than you're gaining as well. And so that whole like, yeah, zero self-interest, I think it's really important because it is a lot harder to actually stand up and be a leader in these spaces. It's a lot, I've always thought it's a lot easier for me to go out and be fencing all day, every day. It might be hot and, you know, hard work, but it's actually the easy path. It's harder to go out and do the stuff that like these women are doing, uh, but we do it because passion, you love it.
0: Yeah, I, I was interested in that word where you, when you come from a sector that you're passionately involved in and you couldn't see yourself doing something else, I think that elevates something in people in leadership positions because you've got a vested interest in wanting to see whatever industry sector you're in to do that. And, and I guess on, well, not I guess, I know on this panel, it's around agriculture. When you're in the public eye and you're taking that that leadership approach, does the pressure of what other stakeholders think impact what you're doing or will you forge your head irrespective? So is there a degree of trepidation when you're doing that? And I, why I ask this is that I am in... The commercial seafood space in Queensland. And we, my association, has been very vocally opposed to some things the government of the day is doing, in particular conservation groups. And we're not, we don't have the problem stepping out and putting a view out there. It can be challenging at times because you, you don't know what's going to come the other way. But yeah, from that leader perspective, is it, is there a fear factor there or do you just forge ahead because of the passion for your sector? I'll put that up to anyone who might want to respond here.
1: I'll go, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> I... Like, I think stakeholders and everything are really important, and actually having an understanding of where they're coming from. I know with the media that I've done in the past, like, I go out and I speak to as many people as I possibly can and get their perspectives because I can't know everything and I, no one can. And I actually think that when you're given a platform to speak on, whether that's a leadership position or, you know, an opportunity in the media, you have a responsibility to actually represent more people than just yourself. And it is a real privilege to be given that. So I think making sure you're speaking to you know as many people as you possibly can now that doesn't mean that you're gonna agree with all these people when I think the number one thing for me has always been I've got to be totally true to myself and I'll get everyone else's perspectives and you know that's that's really important but at the end of the day it comes down to what I truly believe and I think that's all you can do as a leader is make sure that you're true to yourself and I think that keeps your authenticity and yeah I see that a lot with women leaders as um, you really see that like authentic self come through. To add to that, there's definitely
2: fear of what stakeholders will think of you when you do do that authentic self. Um, And I know we're going to get to challenges, but I I think that the fear of industry or the tall poppy syndrome, um, I think the ag industry can be in in a little bit of like silos of organisations. So you'll have all these different bodies that represent their members. And, you know, will you annoy one if you talk out of school with the other? And so, I mean, I've definitely found that a challenge and that fear before you do go forward in whether it's media or where I'm presenting to groups and again I think like um, Kate put being authentic and being true to myself and my area of expertise is, is all I can do but there's definitely that you know that imposter syndrome sets in at times when you if you, you feel full of what other stakeholders will what will say or you know when you do put yourself out there
0: Holly, thank you for that. So why not, let, let's segue if we can into leadership challenges and opportunities from your industry context. So I might go to L to start with on this one. So what do you see as firstly, leadership challenges, so that bit first, and then the second, what do you think are the opportunities then? if any.
3: Firstly, I do want to say like there's so many opportunities in ag. I think that's easier to start with. Like I've been given a heap of opportunities through sort of industry bodies and or scholarships or something like that. So there is so many opportunities and sort of from there you get elevated into a leadership position and that's when you realize sort of the some of the challenges that can arise from that. So yeah, I mean, firstly, like, as, like, these guys would know who stuck their neck out, like, as soon as you stick your neck out, and even if you're talking about the most positive thing you could talk about, you know, you ha- you have people who who want to sort of, you know, cut down the tall poppy, and um, it can be your peers, you know, even some people who are really close to you, they say, what are you doing, you know, what are you doing talking in the paper again, or whatever, you know, I think some people, some people have a bit of a scarcity mindset and think that if someone's doing well, it means that they can't, but it's, you know, being a leader and and sort of having the mindset that you are doing this for everyone, you know, putting a positive image out there for your industry really helps, you know, the whole industry and it and it positively impacts more than just the people directly around you. So it can be really hard and it's not fun to receive that. And I haven't even talked on controversial issues. Everything I talk about is positive and things. So I can't even imagine what Kate and Holly have gone through. But yeah, it like, yeah, it, it can be hard and it is good to have a group of peers who are in similar positions to sort of, you know, talk about this stuff. There's nothing you can really do apart from just like, you know, call up someone who's who's done a similar thing and just say, oh, well, that was, that was shit, but, you know, move on.
0: Thank you, Elle. I might go to Kate. Kate, what what's your view around leader challenges and opportunities from from an ag perspective? I guess, but you you said you wear multiple hats, so I don't know, pick one or all of them, and if you, <laughs> know, if you could share that with us, great. Be good.
1: Yeah, I can't really silo them. I'm sort of, I'm always just me. Um, But yeah, I have different hats. So I suppose I can just wear them all. Um, I think, like, as Elle said, like now we are so fortunate with the amount of like development programs there are in the ag space, but then also the networking side. And I just love this industry so much, the supportive nature of it. And I think we all recognize how difficult farming can be, how, you know, we go through natural disasters and these tough times, but then also recognizing that, you know, we are sometimes talking about controversial issues and you actually do need that support and I've just been blown away by the support network the amount of people that you know you'll go to an ag event and you'll meet all these people that you've spoken to online and you've never actually met in person but you you feel like you're so close because you have this really close supportive network with them so I think that's a real opportunity but also just being a young woman in ag I remember in school I was told don't go into the ag industry it's male dominated you'll get shot down there's no point why would you bother and I'm so glad that I didn't listen to that because I've had the complete opposite experience. Like at 19 years old, I was elected onto the local land services board by fellow landholders. And now I look after 40% of New South Wales. Like if that doesn't show that, that older men and they are the landholders, they're the voters, want new, young, progressive people in this space, then I don't know what does. And I don't think it's just a female thing. I think they want young men just as much. There's this real turning point in this industry. And I feel really fortunate to be in that. I think the industry in general does have a lot of challenges, and I think the people, the leaders that we're seeing come up now, and there's so many incredible ones. I feel really fortunate because we are going to go into a tough time. Like and there's going to be natural disasters in in the future, but also just with climate change and everything that's going on, we've got significant challenges coming through. But yeah, with the leaders that we've got, you know, and, and the support that the industry and different groups have given to those people, I'm you know not worried about the challenges quite as much.
0: <laughs> Deb, what's what's your perspective there, mate?
1: Look, I love the opportunity side. I've, I'm involved in a couple of programs where I get to go into classrooms and talk to kids about farming and I get to put on my farmer dev hat and I get to tell them what color my tractor is and all about cows and grass. And, and the way that these kids look at you and the way they absorb the information, it's something that they don't you know, get taught in city schools. It's not something that resonates with them to go and get into the ag sector. And if I can encourage one kid a term, you know, to pursue a career in in agriculture, my job's done. It's you know, we've we've got a lot of innovative technology coming up, you know. With climate change, we're looking at being carbon neutral by 2030. You know, like Kate said, we do have a lot of challenges, but we've also got the, the people coming through that are innovative and can financially back some of this stuff and we can get it happening. You know, I'm I'm in the, the regen space at the moment and some of the challenges I find there are you know, everyone should be regen based. That's great in theory. And, you know, if we all could be, that would be great. But the fact is, is that we need every aspect of agriculture. And I'll say it a thousand times over. We need croppers. We need our live export. We need our feedlots. We need it for our supply chain and food security. We need everyone. And we've all got to work together and, and use that as an opportunity, you know, to go forward and to not make it a challenge.
0: Definitely, that glass half full approach. Holly, what's your perspective here, mate? So, so it it seems to me, sorry, before you answer, the the tenor of the conversation is yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunity to do some things. You've worked in in that controversial issue, mm-hmm. trying to use your words here. How do you navigate the challenge, and how do you turn that into a potential positive? If we're going to stay along that track of let let's look at what the opportunities are. How do you do that, and, and what do you see from from your perspective in industry? I
2: think like the other ladies have talked about there's lots of opportunities in agriculture in general and um while it can be difficult to be you know the only female in the room or the youngest in the room there's also huge opportunity um to create change and to impact the people that you work with or you the organizations that you engage with I think it's like that changing of the tide kind of feeling for me of like the next generation so moving forward and and the the older generation is accepting and embracing as Kate talked about having young passionate people involved not just females and males you know just the best people for the job the people with the most passion at the time for certain roles that come available so I think the opportunities will are there from looking at the challenges in and facing them head on so You know, for me, I love problem solving, you know, and Al would be the same as vet; like we do that every day. So when you can take that into a political problem or, you know, for me, an advocacy problem, you know, looking at things in a different way and, and how could you get people that have never collaborated before to collaborate? How do you get people in the room that have never worked together before? Those are kind of some of the ways that I've really tried to embrace challenges and create opportunities out of them.
0: Thank you for that leadership and gender from an AG perspective. Where does it sit for you? Is um is the ship of state with that concern going well, or is it a sinking ship, or or are we? I think
2: Kate's going to be also awesome at this question, but I think it's getting there. Like for me, I have you know definitely been the only female in the room, the youngest in the room for a long time. Not to offend anyone, you know, the male pale stale club, you know, can be challenging. Sorry, Eric. Um. And, but they've also been my biggest supporter. So that it's kind of, there's two sides there, you know, they've been the biggest challenge for me, like every day to, you know, they don't want, you know, not they, just people not wanting change, people resisting change that needs to happen. And that can make ag look pale and stale in some respects on the other hand we've just got this amazing generation of young females who are pushing through it like you know they've pushed the glass ceiling they're pushing through any barriers they are challenging the norms and taking leadership roles and being embraced to take leadership roles as well while some of the industry may be seen to be typically male i think that is completely that paradigm is you know in that pivotal place and is completely shifting at the moment
0: Just as a follow-up, and um, I'm assuming you've all had levels of training or some exposure to either professional development or leader development in the ag space. Does that development, that leader development, professional development, take into account gendered issues in the sector, or is is it something that's not addressed in leader training? Because I myself have done a lot of it, and I haven't seen too much of it. In there, so is that is that something that's even worth worrying about if you're um, developing your leadership skills to understand that the gender leader divide when you're being trained?
2: I don't know, like I've done things like the ARLP trail course or even an AICD like courses, and a lot of that, I suppose, is about preparing whoever's in the room. I, I don't know if they necessarily address that gender issue from my experience, but and I think I'm hoping in the future that leadership is or and about the best person for the role not about gender and you know we're seeing that more and more But I think a conflict resolution when we do any leadership training is probably where you end up having a lot of that, the skills that assist with the gender challenges uh, or the challenges that are faced in a role. And and to be frank, it's because as a female, when you have those tough conversations with people, you come across as a bitch, let's be honest, rather than a male doing that same thing and coming across as, you know, just being firm. So those are like just those everyday conversations and how important it is around tone and um, body language and some of those you know day-to-day conversations in as a female in a leadership role and then I watch males in similar roles you know we can have a completely different reaction from people.
1: Some programs like leadership programs where it's all women And so I imagine the discussions there would be quite different. I actually, because we do work in an industry that has a lot of men in it, of course, I think it's really important to actually get understanding from both sides and the really interesting conversations during these leadership, like these development programs that come up around gender is fascinating Um, because, of course, you know, there's different sort of styles when it comes to gender leadership. But, yeah, I think it's really important to recognise both and i think in this space in ag it's interesting how many women are coming through the ranks and it really is like i look at i'm a board member for local land services and i think we've got more women than men now working in this space it's really incredible the thing that's lagging behind in terms of ag is women in management management positions it really is look at like our statistics i think we're close enough to 50 50 generally but management's so far behind so we really need to make sure and i think we will we're seeing a progression where women are coming through but that sort of succession like you know people in ag they hang around for a really long time and there are problems with that but I think we're seeing, starting to see a change where women are coming up through the ranks and that's really important and it's overdue because it has been a totally male-dominated industry for a really long time, but that's why I think we're so lucky now. I actually heard an interesting at an event the other day and it was women in politics and it was talking how someone said something like, you know, women, like these women that sort of go first in something, whether it's politics or ag, there are women that will climb the ladder and then pull it up behind them. And so that they're the only woman up in that space rather than making sure that that ladder is still down there and that other women can come up through them. And I've experienced so many examples of that where women will climb the ladder, but then they also need to like, they also empower the other young women and, and women in general to climb that ladder with them. And I think that's really important. And I think there's a real, like most people in ag, most women in ag that I've experienced want to see more women at that table because we don't want to be the only woman in that table it's, it can be daunting and you, you stand out and you can actually, Actually, get your voice heard. I think at times, then, but it's not fun being the only woman in a massive room full of older men. You Kate uh, L. Yeah,
3: I mean, just building on that, I just think that, like, just straight back to it, it is just harder being a woman in leadership in art. Like, there's just no two ways about it. You cannot be a leader and be a woman, and just it naturally, people naturally take direction from you. It just we in our industry, the women are normally traditionally at home cooking lunch cooking dinner, looking after the babies. And people, I find as much as support as I get from men and 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 the men in my life and, and things, I still think that there is just a huge way for people in ag to go to get their heads around it. And it frustrates me to no end that I still come across this idea that I should be at home. I have a son, be at home with him instead of out in the paddock, or I went on a business trip the other day for a couple weeks and they would say, Oh, who's got the baby partner, you know, he's, he has a dad. You know, I don't. It, whereas if a male went on a trip like that, no one would say a single thing. You know, it's just they would just assume that, you know, the dad takes care of the business. I find that there are still a lot of barriers.
1: Deb, well, over to you. Yeah. Do you have a view. Yeah, I've always got a view. What I've noticed is that I've only sort of been in a leadership role for the probably last 18 months, nearly coming on to two years. I'm the new kid on the block here in this little powerhouse of women, and I'm probably the oldest of the lot. So for me, I've spent the last 20 years raising the kids and you know watching the husband fence and watching him you know build everything up and I've had my head in books and tried to learn as much as I can to get the most out of our land that we have since the last 18 months 2 years though really since Holly sort of come along and and you know come on come on come and put your voice out there I've actually found that now he's the one taking the back seat and it's me forging the farm ahead it's me pushing the business forward it's me trying to build the empire it's me that now consults with everyone and i think a lot of the men in the industry do get a shock when they realize they are dealing with a woman at the farm gate and don't get me wrong at times it's really been beneficial you know when we had the rural fire service come through and and put all our barriers up for when the fires were coming through and they put up all those breaks and they plowed down fences and they just mowed through everything they did come back and they had to come back and rebuild everything that they did destroy and they had to put our contour banks back where they were and you know to allow our water to flow and things like that and you know the minute I rang I actually had them down my valley quicker than any other man did so it does have its benefits at times. It does have its challenges because when they realize that sometimes, you know, your stock agent is dealing with a woman, he's sort of, oh, yeah, all right, you reckon your cows are good. But then when they actually see the calves that you're putting on the back of a truck and they see how good they are, they do take a step back and they do sort of think, oh, wow, okay, what's she doing different? And I think as a woman farming, we do take a different approach to our livestock. We don't push them hard. We look after them. We care for them because we're nurturers. You know, we're women. We we do nurture and we do manage to sometimes get the best out of what we are producing because of that reason. I think now a lot of the men are taking a step back when they realise they are dealing with a lot more women in the industry because we can do it just as good as the men. And I think like just on that, I've just sort of had this realisation is that I've heard people in the past go, you know, oh, some of the best leaders are women. But I wonder if because there are these barriers, and I think some women, like we do have to work harder to get to that table. I wonder, you know, some of these like boards and committees and things like often the female she's not there because she's popular or the most charismatic person in the room. She's there because. She's She's worked her like ass off to get there and like probably hit a lot more barriers than the guys that have been there. And so I wonder if like, you know, that these sort of like oh, these incredible women that are coming up through the ranks, it's actually because it's harder for us at times. Cause yeah, I'm with Elle, like there's definitely still barriers and and I think we have to prove ourselves more we have to prove ourselves that we can do it just as good as the men can if not better, for them to hear us and sometimes that can be you know frustrating for us and that's our drive to to push ourselves and to do it better but Um, you still have your own experiences and that's the thing it's a different part of the industry and like I think that's what's really cool is that like the sitting on the boards and stuff like that and all committees that's one part of it and yeah like it's great and stuff but like equally as important are the people that are kicking butt out in the paddocks and actually like, yeah, showcasing like women excellence out in the paddocks. And I think that's wicked.
0: Before you all go, I do have a follow-up question for you, Kate, when you talked about who is the best kind of leader. But when you say if you've met a female leader and and why that must be different, do you think there is potentially a, a gender difference, if anything, between the styles that women adopt as leaders versus blokes. So you, you all have talked a lot about collaboration, bringing networks in. Is, is it potentially a style thing? Not that men can't do collaborative leadership, but we bring different styles as human beings, let alone between the genders. Is that what you think could be the difference?
1: yeah and I'm sure like Holly could add on to this as well but I think you know and there's like so much literature on gender styles, like leadership styles and things like that and like as with anything like gender does play a role sort of thing in certain aspects of it and I think leadership is one where like and this is like you know it's being like quite generic and you can't lump everyone into the same box because I know some fabulous collaborative men that have helped me so much in my career as well but yeah like I think there are differences and I think you know leading into like what Deb said as well about women being nurturers like there are differences and when people say you know there's no difference between a man and a man and a woman sort of thing I say come out in the paddocks and try and lift some of the stuff the guys do because I'll break my back doing that like there are differences between um, men and women, but that doesn't mean that like we can't equally be just as incredible leaders. It just might mean that we have strengths and weaknesses and that we need to recognise them and, and develop skills um, in different places.
0: Thank you for that. Um, I'm just thinking some of the responses I've had here. I'm- I'm going to extend these conversations down the track and I might come back to you as a panel because I've got the grey matters ticking over. I've got a few more questions. But before we go, because I've taken up a lot of your time and I just want to end on asking each of you to give me maybe one opportunity you see and one challenge you see in leadership going forward.
3: El, I think there's like so much opportunity to continue to develop young people. Yeah, I, I got given a lot of opportunities over the last few years and that's really changed me as a person and the direction my career went. So I think the the best place to start is in schools and and fresh out of schools and the scholarships and things that can provide leadership training and opportunities. They're probably uh, the best way to develop leaders in agriculture. Um, And challenges, I think, again, like from my perspective as a woman in ag, I I do think that generationally we will see it be easier to be a woman in ag. And I, I do see being a woman as I don't, I don't like to think of it as a challenge, but I do know in reality it is.
1: Not with everyone, but it doesn't go unnoticed. Kate. Yeah I think an opportunity is really people recognizing the importance of feedback I think it's something that's like become really important for me through my leadership journey is getting feedback from other people and what I can improve and and I think like even what I've done well I think we often don't get enough feedback in our lives and in our jobs or anything and I think there's a real opportunity to actually like have that conversation about the importance of it and how it really um, does help people develop and I think one of the maybe challenges or it's not really a challenge But I think, you know, we have a lot of leadership programs and it's great. And developing people's skills is one thing, but then giving them the opportunity to use those skills is another thing. And I think making sure that, you know, after we do these programs sort of thing, there's usually like a big cohort that go out and they use those skills and they absolutely kick ass with them, which is amazing. But then there's, there's people that maybe don't have they don't get that opportunity and you know sometimes you have to go out and get create your own opportunities but they don't have that opportunity to actually use them and i think that's really important as
0: well thank you kate holly
1: well, I
2: think the opportunity for me is, you know, what I've been working on with the livestock leaders is just connecting the, and empowering the supply chain so that they can just have access to other people and other experiences as well as that professional development. So I just think, yeah, the more we can connect and have that network of people around Australia or internationally is the absolute opportunity for further leadership growth in our next generation. And I suppose to coincide with that, the the biggest challenge is industry silos, protectionism and individualist type nature that some ag organisations can fall into and that lack of collaboration, you know, know, lots of members of council organisations. And so that's what I'm really passionate about, making sure, you know, the pork industry talks to the cattle industry or not setting ourselves up for this... um, I suppose, you know, like hidden kind of groups rather than um, all having access to each other.
0: Thank you, Holly. And to finish the discussion off, Deb, over to you.
1: Opportunities, there are endless. You know, there are programs, there are scholarships, there are a lot of those those out there. And like Kate said, it's it's a matter of utilising the skills and pushing it through. My biggest thing at the moment is I want to continue to get kids engaged in the ag sector. You know, I'm, I'm happy to spend some time in the city and go around and, and encourage kids to come through because they're going to be the ones that, you know, are the next generation. My kids, um, you know, they're one of them at the, the moment finishing his HSC and he's deciding what part of ag he wants to go into. And that's an exciting thought, you know, that there will be the next generation coming through. What part does he want to get into? You know, his options are endless really. The challenge is is getting our voice heard, I think, we do face a lot of challenges in the ag sector. We we do face a lot. And without going down a, a, you know, another another whole path on this, we face a lot and it's how we handle it and it's how we hold our head up and it's how we how we move forward. For me, I'd like to spend more time engaging with people and helping them to understand about agriculture because we are missing a big link between city folk and rural folk and i'm sure Kate sees that in her job you know from being in Canberra now she would see a lot of a lot of that missing link i think Holly's doing a great job with the livestock collective getting all the different collaborations to talk to each other and to to be to stand as one. You know, we, we want the pork to like the beef and we want the beef to like the ducks. And, and we want everyone to be under that one umbrella. And we want to all be together. And I was a pretty naive little leader at the start, you know, I thought there was only beef producers. I didn't know that we did live export and I didn't know that we had feedlots and I didn't know we had croppers and I didn't know we had stud breeders. And, you know, we're all a part of one big chain and we all need each other right down to the truck driver that transports our our livestock from point A to point B. So it's about bridging that gap for me. And that's where I think being a part of the Livestock Collective, it's an amazing opportunity and I'm just glad to be a part of it.
0: Deb, Holly, Kate and Elle, thank you for your time. For those listening, this has been the Talking Leadership Podcast. More conversations on the way. So thanks again, everyone, and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.